We have reporter Courtney Astolfi in the house today for our podcast. We'll be talking a bit about the government she used to cover. She's recently changed her beats. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues Laura Johnston, Lisa Garvin, and Courtney Astolfi. It's a Monday of Thanksgiving week, short week. We won't have episodes on Thursday and Friday. Hope you're all doing well. Yes? Oh, yes. Ready for Thanksgiving. It's a Monday. (laughs) (laughs) It's a two-day week. No problem. I came on to this with all three of you talking about beach glass, one of those things that I'm never going to (laughs) understand, wandering the beach, picking up trash (laughs) to store and display in your home. But I get it. Let's begin. Did Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's signing of a bill creating gerrymandered congressional districts violate his campaign promise to fulfill the wishes of voters who changed the Ohio Constitution to stop gerrymandering? Lisa, I guess there was a small chance he would veto this, but lately what Mike DeWine has done is play completely to the far conservative fringe of the party for reasons I'm not clear on. So what happened? Yeah, I wish I could say I was surprised, but I'm not. He did sign that bill, I believe it was Friday night, Senate Bill 258, despite many calls to veto it and previous statements that he made during his 2018 gubernatorial campaign, where he said he really wanted bipartisan support and expects maps to reflect voters' wishes. Well, guess what? That didn't happen. He did say that, um, you know, in defense of his signing this, he says, well, we do have more competitive districts than the current map. We have fewer counties that are split up. Mahoning uh, Valley, Lucas County, and Stark County were all contained in one district, but Hamilton County and Cuyahoga got split up into three districts. So hmm, that's not really... You know, that's not really what he was saying. And then Lorraine County is this weird district now that extends all the way to the Indiana border, about 100 miles away. And that's allegedly a a toss-up district. And that was actually joined with a heavily GOP district. So, yeah, he, you know, he he liked to talk bipartisan game, but in the end, it, it just didn't happen. And the Princeton Gerrymandering Project, which looks at the way, you know, states are redrawing maps gave Ohio an F grade for partisan fairness and kind of a C grade overall. So, yeah, yeah, this is what we got. Uh, Look, we, go ahead. He, he made a promise. He promised that he would support the will of the voters. And the, the voters went to the polls with a promise from the Republicans that the new seats would more would match the voting patterns. The voting patterns are not worse than they were before. They took a gerrymandered map and made it more lopsided, and he signed it. So he broke his promise. He defied the will of the voters. There's, there's no way you can explain that away. Oh, I think they're more competitive. More, they're going to be more Republican seats than there were before, and the before is what people went to the polls about. And he promised when he ran that he would defend and protect that, and he signed the bill. So he's reneging on his promise, and he's gone completely over. He's just not representing the will of Ohioans anymore. It's going to be interesting. I would have thought a year ago that he had an unassailable path to reelection. I think if the Democrats really run a smart campaign, he's quite vulnerable because he has broken the will of the voters repeatedly. We'll see. Uh, Not a surprise, as you said, but disappointing nonetheless. It'll all end up in the courts, and hopefully the Supreme Court will do what the elected leaders have failed to do, which is to come up with fair maps.
You're well, listening. Is, wait, oh, you, you ahead, have to Laura. give your plug on 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 Pat Dewine here. You can't talk about Terry Mandering <laughs> without bringing in Pat Dewine. Right. right? How does he not recuse himself on this? His dad signed the bill. Is he going to say, "Well, a great number of people voted on the bill, so I don't see a conflict"? I mean, Pat Dewine is doing something that no judge in the history of the United States has done. He is staying on a case involving his father. We've looked. No one is able to point to another case because every other judge that's ever been in this situation has done the right thing. Pat DeWine won't, so which taints the whole process and could lead to a U.S. Supreme Court fight. There is an avenue to go around him to make the right thing happen. We'll have to see. The lawsuits will come on this just like they did for the legislative districts. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Did someone in an official position in Lake County try to corrupt the elections computers in an effort to help Donald Trump prove that the elections were corrupt? Laura, the Washington Post broke this story because there's a, a federal investigation out of Washington into it. But what's frightening about this is it seems like the people that wanted to steal the election for Donald Trump, based on the argument that the election was stolen from him, we're willing to taint the computers to do it? Yeah, this is incredible. This first surfaced in August when screenshots of information taken from the Lake County computer system ended up on a display at a cyber symposium from Mike Pillow, my pillow founder, Mike Lindell, and he said it would demonstrate election fraud. The thing is, there was no fraud. The uh, county auditor started getting calls. He started working with the Lake County Board of Elections and the Ohio Secretary of State's office to figure out what happened. But all they can figure out was that somebody plugged into the commissioner's office a non-county laptop in an Ethernet port uh, from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. on the day of the primaries, which was May 4th last year, and recorded the equivalent of computers and printers talking to each other at a time when no one else was there. It's nothing from the election system, nothing of any consequence, just pockets of meaningless data. But this, they thought, showed that you could breach an election system. It, this is depraved. I mean, we have a very solid election system in this country. And the people that have been trying to convince America that the election was stolen, even there's, though there's no evidence of it, if this is what they're willing to do, to use their access to computers to try and corrupt the system, that's truly frightening. I hope the investigation leads to criminal charges and whoever did this gets locked up for a very long time. This, the, the, the election system is kind of sacred. And despite what Donald Trump has tried to do to it, which is to kill the Americans' belief in its protections it works and right and, and that's have... the whole point is they couldn't they couldn't show any fraud because they couldn't hack into the election system it's completely separate from the rest of the county system and the washington post story i have to say sabrina eaton did a story for us that was great and she talked to uh the county auditor from lake county and really explained this very clearly but the washington post story used public records to show that a lake county commissioner named john hammercheck who is a retired police officer used a security badge to swipe into the fifth floor offices several times during the time of this leaked data show the laptop was connected to the county network. So, I mean, obviously, we can't prove anything. I hope there's an investigation going on into this guy. But, I mean, yeah, you're right. The idea is we the election was stolen. We're going to prove the election was stolen. And to prove the election was stolen, we're going to tamper with the election. Like, it, it makes yeah, no, no sense. That's, that's depraved. I mean, that is as bad as it gets. And if, uh, well, we'll see what happens. I hope there's some serious criminal charges come out of that. And, and a similar it's breach also, in Colorado, too. 
It's it's also evidence that they're morons, right? They they they're such bumblers that all they did was leave signs that they were trying to attack the system but got nothing except some machines talking to each and other. And then they showed it off at a conference as proof. Yeah, I mean that, that's the it's like you really are stupid and and so stupid and criminal. We'll have to see where it goes. You're listening to today in Ohio. What is the bad news for Pinky Carr, the Cleveland Municipal Court judge who has been caught making wacky decisions and lying about them? Lisa, it always takes a long time for justice to churn when it comes to a judge who's done bad things. But there's been a major development in this case. Yeah, it it, uh, excuse me, a group called the Ohio Disciplinary Council has recommended that Pinky Carr be suspended from the bench for two years. And that recommendation goes to the Ohio Supreme Court, which makes the final decision. They say that she lacks judicial temperament and she callous dishonesty. And this kind of focused on during the pandemic, what she was doing is she was sending out arrest warrants to people who weren't showing up to court even though the courts were closed because of the pandemic. And then she lied about issuing those warrants to the media. And she had some other behavioral issues, like she gave a 15-day jail sentence to a woman who rolled her eyes in Carr's court, 60 days for a guy for an offense that didn't merit any jail time at all. She made false journal entries. She would not talk to all sides in some cases. So there's kind of a pattern of, of mal- I don't want to say malfeasance, maybe nonfeasance, but anyway. Uh, so what happens is, you know, the Ohio Supreme Court will make the final ruling, but yeah, uh, two years. That's a big suspension. And like you said, it took a while to get here. And I think we're expecting a ruling hopefully by the end of the year on this by the Supreme Court. Well, the what surprised me about this was her lawyer explaining now, not before, but suddenly now when she's in the crosshairs, that she has mental health problems right. that are now being treated. Well, you know, a judge with mental health problems is a serious threat to to order, and she has demonstrated she's completely unfit. Credit to Corey Schaefer for doing some of the reporting on this. It was his reporting that she claimed was false when it was dead set accurate. And that, that's not the kind of temperament you want in a judge's seat. I mean, this is one where... You, know, you hope the Supreme Court follows up. Her attorney is making all sorts of blah, blah, blah. You know, she can do it. She can do it. That's not what we want from judges. We want even-tempered people that do the right thing and tell the truth. You can't say, I'm mentally ill, so I lied. It doesn't change right. the fact you lied. Right. Her attorney, who is Nicholas Froning, he wants the suspension to be stayed, of course. And he did mention mood and anxiety ex- disorders and sleep apnea that was affecting her judgment. And he pointed to the fact that there were no prior disciplinary issues with Carr and she's in active treatment now, so everything should be rosy. But I, this is a pattern. I mean, this is a longstanding pattern of, of abuse. I mean, I can't think of any better word for it. Yeah, she doesn't belong on the bench. We'll have to see what the Supreme Court does. Let's hope they enforce some order. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Should we throw away the form of county government we created in Cuyahoga County in 2009 to overcome a long history of corruption? And is there any hope for electing true leaders 11 years into the government? 
Courtney, you recently became the City Hall reporter for Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, but before that, you had spent quite a number of years covering the county government, chronicling the many, many ways the Armin Budish administration has been incompetent. Now he's leaving. He's finally come to his senses and realized running for a third term would be a really bad idea, so there's going to be an open seat. But the question is, 11 years in, can we make this work? Because it certainly has not been, or has it? You know, reporter Caitlin Durbin and I spoke to a lot of folks who who have a front row seat to county government. We talked to the framers of the charter, kind of our founding fathers in that category, past council presidents, current council people, and, and, and other insiders. And everyone you know, the consensus overwhelmingly was that this form of government is still better than the old. There is legislative oversight, which wasn't there before. So, you know, everyone agreed that this is better than the three commissioner form that we gave up more than a decade ago. But that doesn't mean there aren't issues. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean the charter's living up to the expectations voters had for it when they put it in place. You know, most of the folks we talked to pointed to the issues there being a people problem, not so much a structure problem. They, they, they said it was really important to get the right people in place for these top jobs at the county to ensure that the charter government operates as smooth right, as possible. But, but hold on, hold on. We haven't. <laughs> so we're 11 years in, and for the last seven, we've had a, pretty much a disaster in in county leadership, as you have chronicled. And I would question how much of a watchdog the county council has been. It has shown some recent signs that it might be willing to do that, but for a lot of time it really had not. Although it did, it was on the jail. It was the first place to really start to elicit how how badly things were at the jail. The problem is, though, when they created this form of government, we have a one-party system. The Democratic Party owns Cuyahoga County. There really is no minority party. And so the Democratic Party ordains Armin Budish as the candidate, right? I'm running. Everybody gets behind him. How can you get a good leader if this party machinery that bubbles up clowns continues to have that kind of power? That, that's the question is, can it work given all the factors? I get it. We need to elect better people. But, but last time, nobody had a choice. He ran unopposed. Right, right. I mean, and I think that is a key question here. Going back through our old reporting in, in 2014 and, and the primary that, that got Budish into office, it seems like he was a, a, a given, a runaway from the beginning, that it was going to be him. And that strikes me as an issue. If you need, if you, if you want to get quality folks in there, you've got to make sure there's, there's plenty to choose from. And I will say, I wonder if with his departure in this upcoming election in 22, we already have one declared Democratic candidate. I mean, it seems like it's going to be perhaps a, a feeding frenzy. So maybe through this process, we can arrive at, we can arrive at perhaps better options. Well, I- and our, look, already we have a higher level of candidate. Chris Ronane is widely known. I've known him for 20 years plus. He's a good guy. I mean, he and he's been doing everything right to get out and build support. And we also have a Republican running. It's it's a it's really a exotic kind of thing. I mean, you really can't win as a Republican in Cuyahoga County, but he can raise lots of issues and make lots of noise as he goes about it. That's Lee Weingart. So so we do have a couple of 
quality brains in the race. It's just that's that's kind of lucky, and I'm not sure that's what works. And I, I do wonder whether we need to change it again. Laura. I was just going to say, I covered the county government the last year of the former commissioner-led government and the beginning of the reform government. And I mean, you're talking about the democratic machine. Okay, sure, you can make an argument that that's a problem in electing an executive, but it was a real problem in, execu- in electing commissioners and auditors and everybody else who filled up all the slots in the former government in which they just filled all of their employee rosters with people who helped elect them. I don't think we're seeing that problem here in this government. I think Courtney's right. There's a people problem with who Budish has chosen to put in power in his government. But at least we're not seeing the fiefdoms, you know, the Frank Russo's that we saw before. What, What I laughed at, Courtney, in the story that you and Caitlin did was where people said, well, we're all aware of the many problems of the past administration, and that's a step forward. And the truth is, the reason people are aware of those problems is largely because of you and us. I mean, we, 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 we did lose our way as a watchdog on county government back in the county commissioner days. I've talked about this repeatedly, that that, that, that corruption probe reminded us of our important duty as a watchdog, and we have not lost sight of it ever since then, but we were not paying as close of attention as we should have. You did. I mean, so it's not the county council that brought out the bulk of these problems. It was you and Corey Schaefer and Adam Faris and others who, who really have done their watchdog role. The one thing that also bothered me in that story was you had two different people, Michael Malley and the chief of staff, Bill Mason, one of the architects of the current government, saying that maybe we shouldn't have an appointed sheriff. We should have an elected sheriff because it's a big job. And that's completely bogus. That would be like the, the saying that we should have an elected police chief in Cleveland because, you know, that's public safety. That's a big job. That's a cop out. What that is, that's acknowledging a failure of the county executive to do his damn job and do the right thing. Right. Well, so, so interesting point here. So Bill Mason coming out and saying perhaps we could consider an elected sheriff. That was kind of a a bombshell statement, I think it's fair to say. Um, but his point was that when he was hired in, he was brought in to clean up the jail. He spent all his time for the first many months sorting through the problems at the jail. And his comment was that it, it's just too big of a job for the executive to handle. Now, the rebuttal to that, and one that Eugene Kramer, one of the charter framers made to me, was all right. Well, there's jails all around the country where there aren't spates of inmate deaths and inhumane conditions. You know, you can hire a professional. You can find the right person to run the jail. You just have to find the right person. And 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 let them do their job. Right. 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 You you don't you don't meddle. You don't say, all right, I'm taking over the jail. I'm going to turn it into a profit center, turn it into an abusive place where people die in huge numbers. I mean, Armin Budish didn't do what he was supposed to do. He didn't hire a good sheriff and let him do his job to to say that uh, we'll do a better job electing him. Two words, Jerry McFall, another (laughs) major watchdog effort of the point dealer in the past. He Uh was a crook and he kept getting elected term after term after term. You can't tell me that electing the sheriff in a one party town is going to get you a high quality person because for what was it, 35 years, we had a crook. 
That's fair. You know, and, and I and I do want to interject here with something that former council president Dan Brady told me, because I thought this was one of the most interesting points made to me in, in our discussions. He said, perhaps the way to do this right, I mean, you got to get buy-in, you got to make sure the executive's on board to do it right. But, you know, maybe we need to really not let not not allow the executive to try and micromanage and to go into all these departments he needs to pick people who are professionals who can run their departments independently much like the elected officials used to but he can't be standing over their shoulder and micromanaging those people in charge of things like public works the medical examiner's office the sheriff at the jail they need to be given the authority and and a long leash to go out and 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 own it and run their departments as they see fit without meddling from above. And I thought that was an interesting point. Brady said, you know, maybe some independence could be structured into the charter a little bit more, but he didn't see that as necessary. It's just you have to have the right intentions coming from the guy at the top to stand back and maybe let those folks work as professionals. So basically what they seem to be saying is that we haven't had the right leader to define this role yet. And once we get that person, we we might be able to see the value of quality government. As long as we have a leader who's not so immersed in his own reputation and how things affect him and really wants to serve the people. Yeah, I'd say so. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Courtney. It's a pleasure to have you on. We'll have to have you on more. I'm sure you we will because you're now covering the new administration of Mayor Justin Bibb come January. Yeah, I'll be back soon, hopefully. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Three days or, yeah, three days, right? Three days before Northeast Ohioans hit the road for family Thanksgiving celebrations. What are we seeing with coronavirus cases in local schools? Laura, this came up partly because what my wife was seeing in the email each night in the district she works in, a lot of kids suddenly are getting COVID. Right. The fifth wave that's happening all over the state is hitting the schools, too. And some Cuyahoga County school districts are seeing huge spikes spikes in infection rates among students. They have to report these every day, basically, to to the folks who are in their school district. They send their notes to parents and teachers, and then they have dashboards. There's no one way they have to report it, but Bob Higgs took a look at a bunch of dashboards and saw basically we are seeing triple the, the weekly cases or more in some of these districts. And officials attribute these increases to several factors. They family gatherings and social activities that have moved indoors in cooler weather. And basically just kind of a relaxing of protection. Think about it. Masks are required at school. They're separated. The kids are separated. They're not getting sick in school, but they are going to each other's houses after school and playing without masks. Or I was at an open skate on Sunday in the in the rink, um, ice rink, and nobody was wearing masks. These things were not happening last year. Yeah, I, I, I just hope, <laughs> we talked about this last week, I hope this doesn't become a big super spreader event. We did put together a very good story uh, Friday and over the weekend about health experts in Northeast Ohio talking about what they're going to do to be safe. And I hope people read it. Uh, ma- mainly they're saying they're going to check to see if people sitting down at the table with them are vaccinated or have been tested, which which is a tough standard, but they don't want to get COVID either. Good stuff. Check it out on Cleveland.com. Did First Energy tell the truth when it said it did not wrongly use ratepayer money to pay for naming rights 
the football stadium where the Cleveland Browns play. Lisa, if they told the truth, we're going to have to commission a historical marker that says, on this day, at this time, at this place, First Energy didn't lie. You better get that marker ready, Chris, because it turns out there was an audit done by a South Carolina-based group called Blue Ridge Consulting on order um, from PUCO, and they found that they did not use customer money for that 17-year, $102 million naming rights, which was established back in 2013. Um, they said that they there were separate books maintained. And they pointed out that the base distribution rates that were set back in 2008 happened several years before the naming deal came about. But I had to laugh, though. First Energy spokeswoman Jennifer Young said that they, quote, want to continue their commitment to supporting communities through sponsorship of civic, athletic, and arts organizations, unquote. And it's like, who is going to want the First Energy name on their stadium or concert hall or whatever. So that just kind of made me laugh. And uh, a Democrat from Parma, Jeff Crossman, he says, this change is nothing. And the Browns should remove that stain on the taxpayer funded stadium as soon as possible. But yes, truth was told, they did not use our ratepayer money for those naming rights. You know, the, the odd thing about kicking the name off the stadium that that's a move is that First Energy is not going anywhere. It still serves an enormous swath of customers in Northeast Ohio. It will continue to do so. They, they swept out the people that were behind the scandal. They're trying to make a move forward. At, yeah, at some point, you know, they're still here. They're trying to, to do good things, they say now. Is it really... Is it really a graceful thing to do to boot them off the stadium instead of embracing the effort they're trying to make to become an upstanding company? I mean, don't get me wrong. They, what they did was the worst thing ever. They they cor completely corrupted state government. They stuck it to the ratepayers, and no one should ever forget what happens when a powerful utility wields its muscle like they did. But they're not going away. So what what is to be gained by kicking them off the stadium? I guess what I'm asking is when do you stop punishing the current iteration for the sins of the earlier iteration? But the name, it, it, it doesn't matter if they've cleaned house. The name is forever tainted. And there are ways that they can support. <laughs> they can support civic and arts and, and sports groups without slapping their name in big lights on a stadium. I, I, I just feel like they need to like, you know, cut the cord and take that name off. That's just my opinion. Cut, cut the, the cord. cord. <laughs> I, I'd like to point out, we haven't published this, but I did read a story about lobbying efforts by First Energy. And I don't know that they're, you know, they pledged that they were going to cut back on lobbying. I don't really see that happening. I think mm -hmm. we'll have to, I think it's too soon to say that they've changed and they're, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're all doing better now. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How does U.S. Senator Rob Portman of Ohio argue, argue that injecting $1.2 trillion into the economy with the new infrastructure bill will cut inflation and not increase it? Doesn't injecting large sums of cash into the economy usually cause inflation to worsen? Laura, I'm having a hard time following his logic here. <laughs> okay. I was like, I thought it might just, you know, I was going to tell you, I'm not an economist. That was like probably one of the worst 
classes I took in college. Uh, so I'm going to explain this the best I can. But the basic argument is that we are injecting the supply side with money, not the demand side. And that is going to happen gradually over a decade. That is the opposite of what thousands of dollars in stimulus checks to every American did in the past year. So the idea is that by improving roads, bridges, and ports, we're going to make it less costly for businesses to operate. And that would allow them to increase their out per hour and put downward pressure on consumer prices. Basically, we're going to, we're going to put things in that we're going to spend the money on infrastructure that makes it easier for businesses to deliver the goods. So we're going to make the demand, we're not affecting the demand, we're going to make the supply go up. Whereas before, we just gave everybody a whole bunch of money and said, go buy whatever you want and drove the demand up. I know, but you're still putting (laughs) $1.2 trillion into people's hands. I mean, every bridge that you fix up is hundreds of people getting extra money for their employment to fix the bridge, and then they go spend the money, and it drives prices up. I I salute Portman for for being bipartisan on this. The, The nation's infrastructure is in terrible condition and you know i think everybody who's driven anywhere knows we need to invest some money in this stuff i just can't follow the logic that this helps reduce inflation it's a gigantic cash infusion into the economy it is but it's not all at once like last what was it april we all got checks and everybody went and spent them this we're not really going to spend much of this money in even 2022. It's going to be 2023 before the money really gets going. And I just want to, this is a massive amount of money. Just in Ohio, we're talking $9.2 billion to highways, $1.4 billion to water infrastructure, $1.2 billion in public transportation, a billion for the Great Lakes, $483 billion to fix bridges, which are in really bad shape, $140 million for electrical vehicle chargers, $100 million for broadband, and two hundred fifty. Three million for airports. I mean, the, I can't even really contemplate what nine point two billion dollars looks like, but it's gonna be fixing right. a lot of so, highways. All right. So <laughs> think about it, though. If you're going to spend all that money on highways, you need raw materials for the highways. That creates demand for those materials that doesn't exist now, and that causes prices to rise. It's just, I, I look. It's a great thing. I, I'm glad they passed the infrastructure bill. It's a healthy thing for America. But I think the idea that it reduces inflation, I'm sorry, I'm just not buying it. You are listening to Today in Ohio. All right, good conversations for a Monday. Like I said earlier, we'll have a podcast on Tuesday. We'll have a podcast on Wednesday, and then we'll be off for the weekend. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks to the departed Courtney. And thank you for listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm.